0: Okay, um, I'm trying to catch my wind. I enjoyed singing today as always. Have you ever noticed that certain songs take more wind? Take their breath. Yeah, Rebecca was saying today about, um, she didn't know if, how much breath she would have. And uh, I'm thinking, well, she did good. <laughs> she had plenty of breath. But uh, here I'm going, <sighs> sucking air here. You know, uh, I had mentioned earlier that uh, we were going to be dealing with uh, truth and uh, how often we touch on that area because that's where everything is at really because God is truth, isn't He? Jesus Christ said that He's the way, the truth, and the life. So you come upon um, that topic quite frequently, and uh, we spoke about the Holy Scriptures, which is the truth. Uh, in our Bible studies on Tuesday, just to kind of touch base with some of you who uh, are wondering, hey, what are you doing on Tuesdays, even though you, you know, may not be able to make it, that's okay. But what we've been doing is really that issue of truth um, and how the world perceives truth and so we, we took some videos for several weeks there and just to show that, hey, we're not making this up. We've said this many years, all of us together. Uh, what I have to say here is nothing new to any of you. But it does help remind us of uh, the war or the battle that we have uh, or the different view that we have in our Christian worldview versus the worldview that is not Christian. And we find ourselves in the minority. Uh, In those videos, there were interviews of um, mainly young people. There were some old people in there too, uh, almost as much as me and uh, Bob. (laughs) But the thing is, it didn't matter because a lot of those guys that are older have been changed too. But definitely the younger crowd that is in the college age, the educated ones basically, And it's fascinating that because of their world view, they differ totally from what we would say is truth. There are rights and wrongs. Postmodernism is now here. It has been here for many years in many forms, but I think it is very clear now. To hear some of the answers that uh, these college people were giving, was really, in a way, quite shocking, yet it was not shocking either because we already knew that's probably the way that they think. But to say that, um, hey, uh, to even ask a Christian, let's say, is Jesus Christ the only way? And you'd think all Christians would say yes. And, and they would say, well, I believe in Jesus. That's my way. But there are many other ways to God. You know, I mean, we don't have the freedom to ever say that. See, that right there is a truth. And then there is error. The error is any other way. And whether it be through the uh, the cult's understanding or through the Eastern religions, we know that postmodernism prevails. It's a prevailing philosophy. Uh, we uh, come up against it, I think, every day. Kind of interesting, though, in the news, uh, you know, you've gathered, you can't miss it, uh, where they have seen uh, the, the sex offenders that are coming off of the... Um, the television news shows, uh, entertainment, morning shows, and such, it goes on and on. And if they really want to dig, they can probably just keep going on forever. They have news, don't they? But the thing is, it's really not news. I think uh, most of Hollywood, and I think the people in the television industry already knew that. Uh, but the thing is, we as Christians sure know it because that's what people do. It, without Christ, that is the nature of men and women. Uh, but it's a prevailing philosophy. They're telling on themselves. The world is telling exactly what is wrong and what is right. Even with the idea that nothing is wrong and nothing is right, it's all how you perceive it. It's subjective, they say. Uh, truth, they say, is not discovered. It is actually created. It's created by you. Whatever you make of it is what is true. And whatever... Joe over here thinks that's what's true too, right? We, you know, we were teaching on this back in the 80s. Uh, only it's increased and in through the 90s and then the 2000s and now here it is. I think it's fully blown. Postmodernism. It's great that you believe in Jesus, but I believe in something else. And so goes the Christian realm. George Barna claims that 53 percent of those calling themselves born-again Christians, people who would say they believe in Jesus Christ, do not believe in absolute truth. Jesus Christ is not the only truth, they say. And whatever religious faith you follow, that is good for that person. And so that is how it goes. And that's uh, made a strong push towards tolerating, right? We've discovered that word many times lately in the last few decades I think doctrinal truth is now played down it doesn't take a place of importance doesn't matter if you're convinced of the truth or not it really doesn't matter that's the claim of Christianity Uh, but here is how a Christian takes much of it today in a way that would be subjective I went to a Christian concert and it was great. I loved the music. Anything wrong with that? No. But because of that, I became a Christian. Well, that, that it can be helpful in, in making people think, but what it did is, what most people say, it felt so good. The music was warm and invigorating, and I felt good. You hear a word right there that sticks out at you, right? Felt Here's my feelings. It's, Christianity is a matter of the heart, but it's not just a matter of the heart, is it? Worship in spirit and in truth. The truth always comes back. The emotional aspect of the Christian faith must be firmly grounded on the absolute truth, the historical doctrinal truth that we have through the Word of God. We know that. We believe that here. Nobody has any discrepancy with that, do you? No, you don't. We, we make it very clear. matter of fact, that was in our confession there. We love it. We, we do. And we see that Christian faith is rooted in objective history and absolutely unchanging truth. This is where our next study launches off from. We're going to begin a new book today. And I want you to get ready for a new adventure This adventure is going to be exciting. The adventure is centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. And whenever, and of course, the whole gospel is the Old Testament, the New Testament is focusing on Jesus Christ all the way through each um, book of the Bible. And we know that. But when you get into um, a gospel account, you are encountering the person of Christ historically every time you work in those particular Gospels. And that's what's so exciting. So as we get excited about week after week after week after month after month, year year after year, (laughs) I want you to know that we're focusing on the person of Christ. And there shouldn't ever be a time that we're not. There are other times when we might mention His name more than uh, others. But Christ is the focus of everything that that we do. And so as we think about that, I I want you to really be excited about this as we work through the beginning of Luke. And of course we have the the very Christmas story right there in Luke, as do uh, the other... Uh, synoptic gospels there is evidence that this is true this particular gospel and without a doubt unequivocally we have proof that this is absolutely true there aren't too many things that you can say this well this is absolutely true whenever somebody has a writing or it's in a a book, but in the the Scripture and in the book of Luke, He proves it right from the very get-go. He proves that this is true. And, uh, of course, we'll be looking at that today, the first four verses, which is uh, going to be something that we will focus on. And uh, it's kind of like a preamble. Uh, There are accounts of Christ by witnesses. Uh, We know in... (coughs) In some places, we see where they're, like you think of 1 Corinthians 15, you think about the uh, thousands of witnesses that are there uh, giving the objective truth as they give an eyewitness account. The truth is objective and it challenges the very heart of postmodernism. Everything that we do here challenges everything that postmodernism is about. Postmodernism is deep into our schools, not only just the colleges, but all throughout school, from preschool all the way on up. And that is an agenda that has been set forth for many decades, actually. But it has really now made an impact on on our kids. So we have to be uh, cognizant of that. This truth is objective. Uh, uh, Postmodernism, no absolutes. Luke is really concerned that people would see this as absolute truth. To have no doubts in your mind. And somewhere along in our Christian walk, very early probably, we've had some kind of doubts, and maybe some of those doubts are put away in one second. You know, you think, well, how do I really know that this is true? Yes, I've got a Bible, and it's all really good and I agree with it, but how do I really know it's true? And then you immediately think, well, yeah, it it is true. I may not know all the facts about it, but I I know it's true. Okay, what we want to do is turn to this Gospel and let's go into the very first chapter and the first four verses. Let's stand and uh, let's uh, read this. And like I say, it's something to get excited about. Uh, Put yourself in the place of Theophilus here, if you would like. He was a friend of Luke, and as Luke addresses Theophilus, he's also addressing us 2,000 years later. And he's speaking to us because he was inspired by God. He didn't know us. He didn't know we were going to be here. But we sure do as we look at this and say, Thank you, Luke, for recording all that you did. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully, from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Father, thank You for truth. Thank You for this Word. And Lord, as we now make an endeavor, a journey through this tremendous account of the life of Christ Also his death, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension Lord the gospel is found here may we be preaching the gospel for that is what we live for we live the gospel out the gospel of grace thank you in Jesus name, Amen well we uh, look right there at the outset and uh, you know of course when you get ready to do a book you have a and we're working the introduction right in between these four verses, so we'll kind of go in and out that section. But if you get a good handle on what is happening from here on out in the Gospel of Luke, it'll help to be able to uh, think of this, uh, the purpose of this letter that was written. This Gospel. And he wrote it, first of all, to assure... His colleague, his acquaintance, friend, Theophilus, and uh, Theophilus, matter of fact, uh, what does his name mean? Well, if you take it apart, you'll say Theo, Theos, what's that? That's God, right? And Philos, Philae, friend. He's a friend of God. That's a really good name to have. And some say that could be his very particular name or some say that could be a nickname to him after he became a Christian. Uh, I like to say that's his name for now. That's what we'll use. That's exactly what Luke is using. So that's good enough for me. Uh, He's concerned the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is known. And it's known factually. He... Knows that okay, this is Theophilus. I think he also knows that this gospel letter that he's writing is not only going to go to Theophilus, but it's going to go to other people. This is a lengthy letter. It's 24 chapters, and it has a long chapters. And when you consider you know, like 50, 60 verses or so in some of them, this is a long book, a long letter that he wrote to Theophilus. And then he wrote also the book of Acts. Acts is a long book. It has 28 chapters. Some of them, many lengthy chapters. And he wrote that to Theophilus. As a matter of fact, if you want to turn back to, uh, towards Acts, the very first chapter, and the first verse, he has a prologue there. The first account I composed, Theophilus. Well, what's the first account? The Gospel of Luke. That was written to Theophilus, who we see in our reading in Luke 1, verse 3. Theophilus is the one he's writing to, and uh, so we have here this is all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what's in Luke, and the book of Acts is then how it is now taken to the rest of the world and how it changes people's lives people come because of this come to Christ because of this gospel that is offered to them as Christ isn't here in his person he's here in the holy spirit as he's in the apostles lives and all the ones who become members of the body of Christ and so this theophilus is the first one that gets his hands on it And so it is not removed at that time, and it was just for him. It crosses any kind of boundaries, geography. It crosses the time boundary, and here we are. Um, He knows Theophilus is one who would check sources. We all should be checking sources. And so, there's a reliable basis for people's faith. Theophilus has faith in Christ. Luke wants him to know that there is a reliable faith that he has, and he wants to make sure to tell him why. Uh, and that's what this these this section of four verses is about. He calls him a most excellent. Uh, he's a friend of God. He has a title there. He's most excellent. Uh, he's a ranking Roman official And that's right, he's a Roman official. He's a Gentile, Theophilus is. That's a Greek word, a Greek name. And he has some nagging questions that have probably been bothering him to say, well, why would that? Well, this is what Luke has. Anybody would say, okay, okay, I've got this. How do I know that this is true? I wasn't there. This this account is decades after, but really it was starting to be compiled by people within a very short amount of time after Jesus uh, died and rose and ascended. Um, And that's where Luke wants to go. He wants to go back all the way to the original sources. And wouldn't you like to do that? We can't, can we? That's what, there is the boundary of time for us, but he could. He could go back and interview each one of those people who knew Christ and heard His teachings. And I think that is great to know that here is somebody who wanted to make sure that what he got was absolute truth and it was absolutely right in every way. It wasn't just hearsay. It is the absolute truthfulness. It is absolute so, why was reject, Why was Jesus rejected by his people, and then crucified? Wouldn't Wouldn't that be a question? He's a Gentile. He's got to be thinking. Okay, well, why was Why was that? I, I know he, you know, the gospel says that he, he died for my sins. You know, a question come up. Yeah, but as you grow in Christ, you go. Well, okay, why was he rejected by the people though? They're the ones who crucified him. That's his own people. Wouldn't wouldn't you say that those are good questions to have? Yeah, because we get this even settled more. These are logical questions I think anybody should have. Why are Christians being persecuted? That's what was happening in the book of Acts, right? Very early on they were being persecuted. The church had a difficult time uh, in the persecution. Why have most of the Jews, why have they rejected this message? And why are the Gentiles now receiving what started as being Jewish? Well, both volumes that Luke wrote, and they are very substantial, aren't they? Luke and the book of Acts. Those give quite the credence and the validity to this gospel. It's the same author in both volumes. By sure volume, Luke, who is also a Gentile, wrote more of the New Testament. Are you ready for this? Than anybody else? Just a little bit more, actually, or it's really close, it's almost equal to Paul, but if you take yeah, he wrote two books, but in those two books, look at all the verses there are in those two books. He's considered to write to have written one book third of the new testament when you've read luke and acts you've read a third of the new testament paul wrote a third of the new testament here you have the life of christ by luke and then here's what here's what it did after christ was in heaven now reigning And there's the church there being led by God's Spirit and we see how it marches on to the rest of the world. So he takes it from the very birth of John the Baptist and Jesus all the way to Rome, to the rest of the world. That is lengthy, isn't it? So we have a tremendous writer here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote the Synoptic Gospels. Some of you, that might be a brand new word to you. It uh, is related to synonym. And if you remember back in the grade school days, synonym means to be the same as. That means Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. That's another word for it. They were similar to each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You say, what about John? Well, he wrote a lot of different things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke didn't. And, and there are reasons for that. Of course, God the author, the Holy Spirit, knew exactly what needed to be written and when. John took a, a kind of a different approach, but he's still showing the life of Christ and he includes a lot of things that we need today. He shows the deity of Christ in there. Uh, most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark actually was written before the Gospel of Luke. You say, okay... And they can argue about it. And it doesn't matter. But if Mark did, that means Luke actually borrowed a lot of material from guess who? Mark. Now today, you know, we're giving a lot of facts. And we're giving a lot of background here. It almost sounds like a lecture. It sounds like a Bible study here. And I hope that's okay. Because if we have this, that helps. this then helps us as we go through this book. Uh, these little facts I think can really help us and see how you know God used uh, all of these things. Uh, nearly half of Mark's verses are in the Gospel of Luke, half of them. That's pretty synoptic there, isn't it? He borrowed from Mark. Mark was probably one he went to, possibly could have read Mark's gospel he definitely, I would say, would have spoken to him, talked to him as a a witness. Now, when you you think of the different sketches of the life of Christ, each one has a different purpose in the Gospels. And of course, Matthew, it's um, I think very much noted down through the years that Matthew is the one who starts with a genealogy. A king has to have a genealogy. Matthew is writing to the Jews to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And he starts right off in the very first chapter with that genealogy. And so that is really key there, that Jesus is Messiah, the King of Israel. Mark was written with a view that was to hit to the Romans And we did the Gospel of Mark not too uh, long back. It's probably been a couple years ago or so. Three, maybe. I don't know. Things just fly by. Sometimes I have to ask people, do you remember if we did this book or not? And if I can't remember, they can't remember. I'm going, okay, what's what's the harm of doing this before? But I, I know that there are some setting here that have gone through the book of Luke with us. We have covered every... I don't say this braggingly. matter of fact, I go, wow, how did we do that just in our short time? How did we cover every book in the New Testament? We should still be working at that. But uh, we, we covered every book there and some of them maybe twice. Uh, maybe some of them even more in different settings. The book of John, for instance. But um, Mark, a uh, very quick uh, action type gospel if you uh, probably remember that. In Romans slant, it's about the suffering servant. He's a servant there. The book of John, uh, not a synoptic gospel, it is a gospel, but uh, he is proving the deity of Christ. He shows that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll see Son of God all the way through there. In the book of Matthew, you will see the Son of... Um, what, who is it? Son of man? The, Mark? the Son of who? Well, John's the Son of God. Luke is the Son of Man. Mark is the son of... Do you remember that? Well, in, in Mark, what do you have? You have a servant Savior. And, of course, in, in, the, in, the, in, in the Matthew, you have the son of King, right? So you, you have a king and you have a what? A servant. And then in Luke, what do you have? You have man and you have who? God in the book of John. So Luke is here aimed to show the Greek, to show that Jesus is the ideal man, the Son of Man, the Savior of all people. He's the ideal one. And he wrote this in Greek, obviously. And he's writing it to Theophilus, one who is a Greek. He's a Gentile in the midst of what had been a Jewish movement. Gather that. And so it probably seems that he was asking, well, okay, I'm a Christian. Should I be a Christian? These people are Jewish. Uh, Had really God called all the nations to him by even this, a Jewish religion, it seems? And Luke will show that Jews and Gentiles alike are saved by Christ. And uh, this is the hope. This is the hope of the Gentile. It's the hope of the Jews. Would God really save through a ministry that ended with crucifixion? I mean, if you're a Roman soldier, you knew about crucifixions, right? Theophilus, he knew that. Probably attended very many. Uh, Maybe he either assisted with it or he gave commands of how it was to be done, when it was to be done. Um, Anyway, Luke writes this Gospel and he explains the design of God, how grace works, and then how the will of God works through this Jesus, this ascended Messiah, Lord. He wants to make clear how Jesus is Lord of all, Lord of all Jews and Gentiles. And he's stressing that this is salvation. The gospel can go to all people. That is nothing new. It's in the Old Testament. The only thing is, it was a mystery. That mystery has been revealed in the New Testament. And so it's talking about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Luke in the gospel writes so much of salvation. That is one of his key themes. And he's here to strengthen Theophilus' faith. Not saying he was wavering, but it's something that he needs to have and so Theophilus can pass it on too. Because many other ones would be wanting to know, how do you know this? How do you know it's true? So he needed to be reassured. And I think always we need to be reassured, don't we? We need to be reassured that what we have is truth. And of course, anytime you get into this, you're reassured. You are encouraged by it. Each generation since this time, uh, many are just like Theophilus. That's what Luke has here. It's a number of uh, distinctive features, very distinctive. He gives more space to the birth of Christ and the infancy of Christ. He even shows whenever he was a a young boy, like at 12 years old, he's at the temple whenever he had been left behind there as his family went on. and It was like they discovered that he wasn't with them, so they had to go back and guess where he was? I had to be about in my father's house. This is Jesus. And Luke records that. Nobody else does. He alone mentions the ascension, Luke does, in the book of uh, Acts. And he traces the history of Jesus' followers through uh, that momentous uh, events. And Luke has a, a universal emphasis, the good news, the great joy, and uh, he's the one who recorded Simeon's story, uh, his prophecies that this child of God as far as the revelation is concerned, he is the salvation. This is Jesus. This is this is who he is. He's a light of the revelation to the Gentiles. Luke records that John the Baptist preaches. Luke records that he cites and that uh, speaking uh, John the Baptist and early on in the Gospel, of Luke. Uh, out of Isaiah, that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It will be taken to them. Luke saw that happen. He was part of that. So that's, as he's writing these things, you can see how he was guided that way. When our Lord begins to minister at Nazareth, Nazareth is his hometown. And they asked him to read the passage for the day. He read it. Then he shut the scrolls up. And he started expounding upon the Scripture. And in Luke's Gospel we see that. He created an animosity by pointing out that Elijah was sent to a Gentile widow in Sidon. And that the Gentile... see, we're mentioning Gentiles here in a synagogue that Naaman, the leper, Naaman, a Gentile, was cleansed. And so Jesus brought that forth. Luke records that in his Gospel. And he talks so much about repentance and forgiveness of sins. So this is where we say he's a synoptic gospel, but he has his own unique way of presenting it too. So as he gathers up the information, he gives another slant that is very helpful. And we get to sit here today and have all four Gospels of Christ. What a privilege it is. We have it right in front of us. All the time. If we have a phone by us and, and if we need something to recall real quick, boom, you hit the phone and there it is, right? How many different translations could you get off of that? Well, Luke is the only synoptic gospel to call Jesus Savior. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't that be an automatic for all of them? Not necessarily. He alone uses the word salvation. These are Savior. Salvation, why? That should be all over the place. Well, God made sure that it popped up in the Gospel of Luke. He uses the word preaching the good news which is only used once in other Gospels. And He alone is the one who uses in the Gospels the word grace. L- Luke alone. You'd say, these are key words. Savior, salvation, and grace. Isn't that fascinating? We love the word grace. We sing songs about it, don't we? We you blessed by grace greater than our sin this morning? You look at those words as you're singing along and you go, you know, it's, I feel like Alistair Begg. You ever heard him? Yeah, if you've heard him, you know he's always calling up songs. Sometimes it's hymns. Sometimes it's, a lot of times it's secular songs. A lot of times it's Beatles songs. Yeah, You, you know what I'm talking about. But he takes those. It was from his early youth. And and teenage and college years and he would take that and then he would say I know what they're talking about here they may not know the answer to it but here's the answer, we have the answer and so often I do that as as we talk about it because I can say boy that word we we just use it so much and that's uh, we love it, this is the name of our church, Grace Grace Community Church, we emphasize that, we want that to be a key word in, um, in our belief and in our living, right? Um, He's the only Gospel writer to use the words redeem and redemption. These are words that we use frequently, aren't we? These are words that we see in the epistles of Paul. And that's why we say Luke is very doctrinal, in his writing in a lot of ways, and we'll get to that in a moment. He is a doctor. Well, that's exactly right. Well, let's go ahead and get to that, Bob. Doctrinal. Speaking of that, Doctrinal. He is Dr. Luke. If someone were to ask you to tell them about Luke, before we came in here, how much would you have? Well, I think most of you would say he is a doctor. I think you'd probably say he's an historian. He wrote the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Traveled with Paul. Um, Well, and we could probably pretty well stop there. That's quite a bit, really, but what we're going to do is kind of introduce ourselves, reintroduce ourselves to Luke and uh, either br- bring back some of these scriptures because he's only, the name is only mentioned three times in, in in the New Testament. Only three times. And you think, well, he wrote the book of Acts. Yeah, he doesn't put his name down. Do you see him writing himself and putting his name down in, in, in the Gospel of Luke? No, you don't. He doesn't beg. He's just saying, this is this is the account. I'm out of the way, folks. Do, do you see that he's a very humble man? And he's addressed by Paul as uh, one who was a doctor. He could have overemphasized that. Uh, I respect people that uh, call, are called doctor, but they're not to be worshipped. Uh, they, they worked for that. But you know what? Many times when you use that word with some people... It is taken that they are uh, ahead above others. We like to use terms, we like to use titles that lift us up. And I want to be called that. You don't have to tell people that you want to be called that. If they recognize that you are worthy, uh, whatever it is, they are going to respect you. And I say that knowing that um, Luke here is not really referred to as Dr. Luke except for one time. And that is important because it helps us know who He is and what He did. Um, He was a very influential force. And as we move on to this doctor, I'll I'll go to that Colossians in a moment. Uh, 52 chapters. He is very well trained. He is a legitimate writer. He knows that everything has to be specific and has to be accurate. And as he writes 52 chapters, that's an influence, isn't it, on the New Testament? The Gospel narratives, it's the most thorough and complete telling of the Gospel in the book of Luke in in, uh, many ways. Those 52 chapters, when you add it uh, with Luke and the book of Acts, Uh, we see that uh, he tells a lot about what was going on, but he really doesn't tell us about himself. He's kind of unknown. We know, yeah, okay, he's he's a doctor. He's a theologian. Right? He's doctrinal. And, I want to tell you this, his narrative that starts with the Gospel of Luke goes all the way to Rome, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because he was in Rome with Paul. When Paul was in prison, Luke was there. That's fascinating. You know, this spanned over 60 years of recording that he put down. Now, he wasn't an eyewitness himself. He, be, he became a Christian after the fact of the matter. Matthew was a direct eyewitness. John was a direct eyewitness. They're apostles. Some of the other apostles, all the apostles were eyewitnesses. Direct eyewitnesses. But he wasn't. But he's collecting from these eyewitnesses. Um, so he preached at, um I mean, he talks about Paul, and uh, you know, shows that his his preaching was there. It extended to uh, the world. Uh, no other writer wrote so comprehensive a history and the impact of Jesus than this man Luke. Pretty powerful, isn't it? We'll go on with him a little bit more. He's the most complete. Storyteller of the saga of salvation of the New Testament. Is our view of Luke becoming more and more apparent? How important he was in giving us this truth here. These four verses that we're dealing with today are in fact one long unbroken sentence in this language of Greek. It was written in Greek originally. And I will tell you that there is something that sets the four verses apart from the rest of the Gospel. The first part, the four verses, shows how well educated and how great of a writer that he was because he wrote this in classical Greek. We have, when you look at the New Testament, it's usually called the Koine Greek or Common Greek. But he wrote these verses in Classical Greek. That is what an elite writer with high significance, classic books that they would have written, would have been a prologue, and they would have started with Classical Greek. For what it's worth... This tells you a little bit about Luke. He's doing what everybody else would do as he writes to Theophilus, a Greek person. And to us, it wouldn't make any difference reading the English here, would it? But to them, they knew exactly, oh, this is a difference. The classical Greek and koine is quite a difference. And so he's very literary in his writing here. Um... Some kind of high-level education that he had because of the handling of this form. Now, we say that he is a doctor, he's a physician. If you turn to Colossians chapter 4, we're going to say, okay, where can we see where Luke is listed? Yeah, we, we know that he's writing the book of Acts, but he always puts we... I think uh, chapter 15 is where it starts. And whenever you see we in there, Luke is including himself with Paul and other uh, traveling companions. In Colossians, at the end of uh, particular letters, Paul would name some names that he wanted to, to point out who this was to and such. And in Colossians 4, verse 14... It says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And then he also mentions some other ones. He's called the physician, but also the beloved physician. You just don't pass over that word. Paul meant that word thoroughly. Oh, what would have Paul done without Luke? All right? God put Him in at the proper time. So He's beloved. Now let's back up to verse 11. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. This is not Jesus Christ here, but who's called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. He mentions a there, then, and then you see Luke in verse fourteen. So he's a beloved physician, and what else? A fellow worker, side by side with Paul. He worked with, he ministered with Paul. That's something, you know. He he just didn't write the book of Acts because he heard that these things were going on. He was right there in the second half of Luke so he went through a lot of the same things that Paul and the other guys did too Um, so uh, he left his medical practice I'm sure that he put it to use with all the beatings that they had and Paul had and you could imagine Luke had an interest in the physical aspects when he wrote the gospel of Luke you know that? The healings that Jesus did, I think he found quite remarkable as a matter of fact, he kind of gets into it a little bit. He recognized some things, those miracles that Jesus did in the physical reality that he had heard of you know like say this you know he, he wasn 't there, but it 's like he 's there as he gets the witness story, right. And uh, the healings that Jesus did, the miracles, it was so unique. So Luke records that in a unique way. Um, So we said He's mentioned three times. We've seen it once. Let's go to Philemon, verse 23. This is Paul writing again. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. There, along with um, Paul, you have Mark mentioned, and Luke are together right there. There you have two of the Gospel writers together with Paul. Mark and Luke and with Paul with these other ones, they're fellow workers and uh, they had, they were definitely fellow prisoners. Sometimes they were prisoned, uh, maybe chained together, chained in the same place in, in, in prison. Uh, the experiences that Luke must have experienced, I think must have been quite incredible to him. He, he's probably saying, I left my medical practice for this. <laughs> so that's the second time he's mentioned. We see him as a fellow worker, maybe a fellow prisoner. We see him as a beloved physician. In Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, this is the third time, the only other time. Second Timothy is near the end of... Paul's ministry matter of fact, he's about ready to die. Second Timothy 4:11 guess who he's going to mention I'll give you one guess. only Luke is with me. Where's Paul at? He's in prison. he's in Rome. He's going to get his head cut off. Only Luke is with me. He's writing to Timothy. And then he says, Hey, uh, when you come, uh, pick up Mark there, bring him with you. He says, "Tychicus, I, I had to send to Ephesus to get those books, you know, the parchments. You, you remember this text, don't you? Luke happens to be in that text. That's three times. As much as he wrote, we see him three times fellow worker, fellow prisoner, beloved physician. I think we can know quite a bit about this man now. Didn't really say much about himself, but he did point out that he was a fellow... I mean, he he's there, as Paul brought it out. Over years and years, he had been with Paul. and Probably... Literally hundreds, thousands of miles they walked together. Literally walked. Luke was also in a shipwreck near the book of, end of the book of Acts. You remember that? That's some of the kind of stuff that he went through. He, he was a missionary. He was very kind. He was loyal, wasn't he? Are we learning something about Luke? Well, we might be reminded you probably know these things. Like, oh, that's right. But isn't it good to be reminded? Because that's really what the Word of God is always doing because there's so much here that we can't possibly always having all of these thoughts all the time in our forefront, can we? That's why we seek the Word of God as much as we can. But yet, there are things that we can tend to, oh, I forgot. Yeah, I, I, Peter said, I do this to remind you of these things. Right. He's brave. He has a sympathetic heart. So he's a doctor with all of that. He's an historian. We really have to appreciate him being a historian. We know a lot about him as being a historian. We know about those two volumes of history that he wrote. Uh, Going back to Luke, Luke 1-3, through let's read this again. And as I go through probably some of the rest of this, it's going to be referring to where we were at but this is history Uh, the gospel is historical Jesus is historical that means Jesus was real he was in history he lived here and we have accounts from people who never were Christians that at least talk about Jesus because a man like him had to make an impact on people whether they wanted to believe in him or not Josephus being one, a Jew who never trusted in Christ. Tacitus, other historical writers uh, from Rome and thereabouts. And here's Luke. Let's read the first three verses. "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things..." accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Here's the historian. I'm writing a true legitimate history. I want you to know, Theophilus, this is not anything that I just kind of threw in here, or somebody told me to, that, that this was it, and then that's it. I had to check these sources out. This is a sort of uh, putting your footnotes right at the front of your message. Uh, any kind of writing that you do, you you know, we are to have footnotes if, if you a uh, hand in a paper. They want the footnotes, don't they? Well, he has his footnotes. The events of Jesus' life, and it says here in verse one that they were the subject for many writers. Said, well, many. What were we talking? Matthew, Mark, John. Well, no doubt. But he's talking about many writers, other writers who had written. Now, they're not in our inspired Bible here, but there were many people who were believers who did write accounts of this too. They wanted it for their own selves. They wanted to put that down and, and be able to read some of these things and, and, and pass it down to their children, right? It would be important to them. I mean, if Jesus came here today, and we had a We'd be we do pictures a lot, right? We'd be going like this, you know, just snapping one after another. And boy, you know, I mean, within the space of just five minutes, as he's passing through, he might have as many as hundred shots right there. You know, man, this guy is really important. You know, whether you're a believer or not, he said, yeah, you know, the, what an impact that that he made. So he said, many undertook these things. He checked out who knows how many witness sources. He went to those sources. Every resource that he came to, then what did he do? He investigated it, didn't he? He investigated he looked into that. Some of it could be just hearsay. Luke being the person that he is, he's not going to put anything down that he thinks that could be hearsay. And it may turn out to be truth, then he records it. He's not inventing anything. We don't come up with anything new today. There's nothing new. It's all been here. This is written. But He gave a very careful account on other people's memoirs, things that have been written down by people about Him. He talked to the eyewitnesses. He said, well, you mean to tell me, you know, they might be talking about a miracle that he wrote. You know, And so, you know, he's writing this down. And he hears from somebody else that says the same thing. Then he hears from somebody else. Two or three witnesses. Hey, we might be on to something here, right? Did this really happen? All the things that were handed down to him. Well, he's a theologian because I, uh, I used a lot of key words that are very doctrinal. Alistair Begg says doctrinal, right? Doctrinal. He says doctrinal. Um, he's a theologian because as we go down into the end of verse 3, seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order now that's kind of a general term but it 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 means logical it means sequential it wasn't that everything always has to be in a very legalistic way has to be in some kind of as it's put here consecutive order generally it is it is there um But the idea is it's put down sequentially. It's put down logically. That kind of order. Um, He starts with the baptism of John the Baptist. He's to be the forerunner. By the way, that was recorded in the Old Testament, wasn't it? And then Jesus and His ministry, His life, all the way through His death, His burial, His resurrection. It goes all the way to that cross and then after the cross and in uh, the Gospel of Luke. You have ten chapters of Him with the disciples traveling to Jerusalem to die. Get a lot of things that were going on during that time. Uh, The cross, the resurrection. Sovereignty of God is definitely found in the book of Luke. Salvation to Jews and Gentiles, very much so. Holy Spirit, you'll find in Luke. Christology, that's what it's all about, isn't it? The study of Christ. Justification, how about that? You usually look at Paul for that doctrine. Well, it's found in Luke. The cross, the substitutionary atonement penal substitutionary atonement, the second coming. So we could say that he is a theologian for sure as he's being inspired by God. And I got a feeling as he traveled with Paul that he got a lot of doctrine. And then he also has a pastoral heart. Uh, we got down here. And, I, and these four, I, I'm really, I kind of pulled from John MacArthur's thought on this. Spent um, a couple of weeks in this section. And uh, he, this is the fourth one, he said, uh, you know, pastor. And I'm like, ah, oh, he's a pastor. We never see him as a pastor. But he had the pastor's heart. He says um, to Theophilus, I write this so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. He would talk about these things. Now I want to have these things recorded. I want you to be able to see these. He wanted his readers beside Theophilus to know the exact truth. Isn't that great? The exact truth. That's, that's a heart of a pastor. And he wants them to know God's truth. Millions of people have come to salvation by reading this letter here. Um, the prologue. Um, we get to that. We're really near the near the end here. But the the prologue. These four verses. We've been kind of carrying it all through. It's one one sentence. It's very polished style in the original Greek. It's not something that he invents, though. Uh, 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 that he's trying to put forth. Christianity is not a religious philosophy based on speculations, philosophies, ideas of religious thinkers. Christianity is set apart far from that kind of thinking. And that's why we can say Jesus Christ is the only way. It is totally different than any other kind of religion. All other religions are false. Can you imagine a person making that kind of statement today? All other religions are false. There is only one way, that's Jesus Christ. That's rather bold in the society that we live in. Well, it was at that time too. The person of Christ is uniquely revealed as God to us. Matters of revelation Uh, we see that they are to submit to this Christ, uh, and He's not only one to see historically, but now they are to put their lives into that. We don't know who these witnesses were, all of them, it says in verse 1, as as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, they were sources. Uh, There were many Many were eyewitnesses to the entire ministry, as he says, going from the very beginning. As he says in verse 2, those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. I think this is easy. Who are the eyewitnesses from the very beginning? The apostles. He goes right to the apostles. Well, of course. They were with him right at the very outset when that ministry started. Who better to go to than them? But he also uses others. But... Essential qualifications for an apostle as it's seen in Acts 1 21 and 22 is that they had to have been with the risen, been with the Lord through his ministry and to what? To have seen the risen Lord. That's what it took to be an apostle. You can't have an apostle today because they weren't at the very outset of Jesus' ministry. The apostles' day is gone. He have believers. Luke verified everything before he wrote. It says in verse 3 there, he verified everything that he wrote. While he was living in um, Caesarea, actually, he probably was living there because Paul had a two-year imprisonment. Luke went with him. After that, was he was on his way to, to Rome. You know, the court case... That's, you know, where he was supposed to go. And uh, so he got a free trip to Rome, being kind of a prisoner. But Luke's with him. Luke had time to get around a lot of witnesses at that time. And, of course, he got that verified. And during those two years, as he uh, interviews numbers of eyewitnesses, one of them probably could have included Jesus' mother. Why not? would not you go there? Did she know about Jesus? Well, from the very get-go, even before He was born. You know about the angel, right? He tells that story about the angel coming to her. Guess where he got that? But I'm not saying that he wasn't inspired to put that there either. Did he have to talk to Mary? Well, he wouldn't have had to, but I think he did. And uh, that made it even more real to him in that sense. So Christianity is built on facts. And Luke wants to make sure that, and he says orderly... um, purposeful, it's a consecutive order is what it is. The things accomplished among us, what had been accomplished among them was the saving purpose of God and sending His own Son to die for His elect. All those sinners. The saving purpose. And it was thoughtfully arranged. His material showed that Jesus is the Savior. And the Gospel then is to be believed with absolute Confidence. Luke wrote to his friend Theophilus that he would be certain about the crucial matters. This is the exact truth. It's precise. It can't be any more precise. This is it. This is perfect, absolute truth. Boy, a postmodern would read that and they'd have a lot of difficulty. It's not subjective truth. Luke confronts us here with an awesome view of the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we want to take this to, don't we? We want to go into a perfect gospel view of Christ as we are elevated in our walk and elevated in our praise. Uh, If we don't submit our lives to Him, then we'll be judged by the stone that scatters all like dust. It's put in uh, Luke 2018. If Luke's message is true as he claims, then you can no longer live as you used to live. That's what he's saying to the people. If he is this person, we have to change. Of course, it's by the Holy Spirit that we change if you read Him and you want to know what Luke is saying, then you see into the heart of Christ. We submit to Him and then we hand it off to others. That's what it does. It's passed down. We have the exact thing that Luke wrote 2,000 years ago, folks. We have the exact thing that was written. How many other books could you have in your hand that was written by a man that long ago and know it's true? Now, if I started some kind of a story, i passed it on to Bob without any support to it, anything written down. He's going to get pretty well what I said, but he's probably not going to get it exactly word for word. He's going to pass it to Julia. And there's some nuances there. You know, it's still the same story. And then it goes on, negotian non all the way on back and comes on around. By the time it gets to the last person, it might have the gist of the story there, but there's going to be a lot of things missing. There's going to be things that are added. Because that's just the way that we hear things, especially if it's of length. If it's one sentence and a few short words, we can get it exact. Make sure. Okay, here, you know, he wept. he wept. He wept. It comes back here. That better be he wept. But if we put more multiple words in it, now we've got. We're going to have some changes. Well, the word of God really doesn't change like that, because of the backing of the power of the Holy Spirit. Granted, there are translations that will be differing that it never change from what it's really saying there. We don't have the original Greek, original, original Greek text, but we can go back really close, right? We have every reason to believe what we have is no doubt, without any kind of doubt, that this is true. We can pass it on to others. Um, Luke emphasized in one place, Jesus came to seek those who are lost. It's about salvation, isn't it? To seek the lost. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul wrote that Second 2 Timothy 2.2. That's simply what our writer here, Luke, was doing. And, of course, what we do. What we're doing here, we, just, we pass it on. We walk out of here. Guess what we do? It doesn't stop at the door. What do we do? We pass it on, right? We look to that. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have to hear about the Gospel. And the Gospel is seen through this study that we are embarking upon. May it ever make a change in all of our lives. We want to reform daily. You are transforming us. Thank You, Lord, for that. And we give glory to You. Thank You for these people here who are all learning grace, have been very gracious in dealing with uh, their families and people outside of... uh, church and to people and at their work uh, as they have been witnesses there in so many ways thank you for these stories that we hear from luke and and also now as we as we see as you working in our lives uh, lord we remember you this morning as we partake of the lord's supper uh, as we have remembered these things that luke reminds us we are remembering what your death, burial, resurrection, your life, everything, your ascension, and what you are doing now. We remember that. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.